Many years ago, there was a skit on Saturday Night Live that was performed by what is now, I believe, a senator from the great state of Minnesota named Al Franken, who may just as well have stayed a comedian. He did this skit where he embodied a character named Stuart Smalley. And Stuart Smalley was a man who wore Bill Cosby-esque pastel lively sweaters and fashionable eyewear. And he would begin his show sitting on the edge of the couch with a perfect posture, gazing into a mirror. And into this mirror he would say various things, kind of reassuring himself that he was indeed capable and able to do what he was about to do. He would say to himself in his daily affirmation, I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person and I am fun to be around. He would look into the mirror before the show started and the camera was panning in on him as he looked and talked to himself with a voice that he hoped would matter and say, I'm going to do a good show today because I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, people like me. But of course, Saturday Night Live, they do things in order to make fun of people. And one of the things that Stuart Smalley did in his daily affirmation was tried to confer upon himself a worth which he could never do. Because, see, that's not how value happens. We've been talking about the image of God. We've been talking about the renovation of the image of God and how we see ourselves. How we struggle to be okay with ourselves and how we can come to think of ourselves in the way that God thinks of us. And one of the things that's so silly when you back up from it and you watch Stuart Smalley reassuring himself that he is good enough and he is smart enough and that people do in fact like him is that it seems a little hollow. Maybe you've tried it for yourself. Maybe you've tried reassuring yourself by looking in the mirror before. Maybe you've tried combating your own voices of condemnation by saying, no, 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 I am good enough. But the affirmation just kind of dissipates, doesn't it? Like something hitting on a hot surface and it just goes away. Because, see, one of the things that God has intended to have happen throughout the history of of the existence of people is that they would understand that their value is something not that they achieve and not that they come up with, but it's something that's conferred upon him or her or on them. God says, let us make man in our image. The apostle says that the hope of your glory is Christ, the image of God in you. He reminds the Colossians that they're being renewed in the image of their creator, that the reason they're worth something, the thing that they can hope for is that value, that worth, that affirmation has been spoken into them, if they should listen for it, in a way that they can never 
speak it for themselves. And this is an inspired thing that the Apostle does, an inspired thing that God does, because they know, the Apostle knows and God Himself knows, that we are people who are hankering after glory. Do you know what I mean? It's a word season. Recently, didn't they have the Oscars or the Grammys or something, Emmys? What happens at these shows? Everyone's nominated, everyone's glitzy and well-appointed in their clothing and their jewelry and their coiffed hair. And when Amy Poehler in Parks and Recreation wins, rightly so, another award, what happens in the room, do you think? as she's walking to the stage with her entourage of people who are momentarily basking in the glory of winning this coveting, covetous award, are people in their seats saying, Dear Lord, I praise You for Your goodness to my friend Amy. Are they asking, taking up imprecatory psalms in their mouths for the Lord to strike her with lightning on the way to the podium? Are they hoping that she'll fall down that she'll say something stupid. Are they seething beneath their... Ah. Are they seething underneath saying, I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. Because see, when she wins the award, everybody else doesn't. And so the only person who's excited about that is her and probably her mama and daddy. Because everybody else thinks, you just stole my glory. My chance to be something. My chance to matter, to receive accolade, to get praise, to belong, to be heralded, to be of worth. It happens in all kinds of ways when people get awards. And you can ask yourself, how much am I hankering for glory by just finding out How excited are you when other people are honored? When other people get the promotion, the privilege, the job, the acceptance into the school that you were hoping you would get? How happy are you for them? The extent of your sadness, the extent of your sense of wanting to hurt them or hoping they get hurt or hurt God tells you something about the fact that you really, 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 like me, you want to be recognized. You want to be esteemed. You want to be valued. You do. You want glory. And of course, there's a way in the church that we do this. Because we've been taught. You're not supposed to brag and stuff. You're not supposed to talk good about yourself. You're supposed to let another praise you, not your own lips. Even Solomon said that in the Proverbs. So there's a kind of way of defining yourself. Uh, I'm just such a, I'm just such a control freak. I'm just such an idolater. I'm such an awful, ridiculous sinner. Or I was reading lately about a woman who said, "I've been, I've been reading a lot of mommy blogs recently." Do you know what a mommy blog is? Yes, you do. And she says it's interesting to me that there's a kind of theme that's starting to emerge on mommy blogs. 
And it's this kind of, I'm just a mess theme. Just kind of an artsy purple marker riding over your life. Oh, I'm just a mess. Isn't it wonderful? So a mom says, ha ha ha. I forgot to give little Billy lunch money for the last four days at school. And you say, ha, 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 that's nothing. My daughter hasn't had a bath in two weeks. Ha, ha, ha. We're all just a mess. And she said, and the problem is, I noticed that I'm not sure we're just being honest with each other and therefore doing something good. I'm wondering if we're not somehow masking. Masking our jealousies. Masking the fact that we actually do have these standards that we're not meeting and we feel berated by them. And so we take some kind of solace in our badness. Jesus loves us because we're just a mess. You think it's because you're a mess that He loves you? Oh, He doesn't intend to leave us a mess, she said. See, when I when I do the kind of humble brag, when I kind of say, well, I'm just as bad as everybody else. Aren't we all just so awful together that we leave ourselves conferring upon ourselves a kind of value that ends with our deficits? It ends with our incompleteness. But see, the Apostle Paul knows that we're made for glory. We crave glory. We want glory. And he doesn't want us to end in incompleteness. He doesn't want us to end with this, oh, I'm just a sinner. You can't say I'm just an addict. I'm just such a control freak. I'm just so anxious. I'm just such a fearful person. He doesn't want you to just end there. So he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He knows you're made for glory. He knows that you want to be acclaimed, that you want to somehow meet up with recognition, that you want to matter. If you stay defining yourself by your sin or your deficits or your failures, or you keep chasing after things that will somehow make you into something, I just get in the right school, if I just get enough money, if I just get enough people to like me, then I'll matter. If you keep trying to confer value on yourself, it's never going to fix you. It's always going to be fleeting. But God is concerned about glory. We're told... That Jesus is the image of God, pristine, perfected. See, we've been talking about the idea that when God created man and woman, He made them in the image of God. And there they were, a reflection of Him. A picture, an advertisement of the benevolent rule of God every place they went. But the moment they started... Choosing for themselves, a cataclysmic event happened where unleashed upon the earth was all form of malady and self-preoccupation. And the image got graffitiized, vandalized. 
And so now we can look at the vandalization of the image of God and it doesn't look like much. We don't seem like much, but God looks at us and He says, I see something there. In that blighted neighborhood, I see, I see, I see chapels and buildings that I invented, that I constructed. And yes, now there's, there's unemployment there. And now there are broken out windows and spray painted obscenity on the walls. And there are drugs on the street. And there are cracks in the pavement. That is my creation. Those people in that place, I'm going to renovate them. And so his idea is I'll send Jesus into the world and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, we're told, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him, we're told. The author of Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God's being. Upholding all things by His powerful Word. And Paul says that image of God. That one who perfectly depicts God Himself in skin takes up residence in people who trust Him. So he's writing to a community of people. When he says Christ in you, the you is plural. Grits. Not a grit. He lives in us who believe. And it's the guarantee of our glory. See, because though you know this, consider it with me again. In the previous few verses, Paul says this about Jesus. Once you were enemies of God because of your evil behavior, you're alienated from him because of that. But God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Think about that for a second. Once you're enemies, you're, and this is instructive for you, you don't want to be around God. You don't want to think about God. You find yourself feeling queasy and uneasy around God. Sometimes that's because of your behavior. You have a vested interest in Him not being true. You have an allergy to God that needs to be immunized and overcome. And it can by belief. And you start to believe this, that this Jesus came. And by His physical death, we now can anticipate glory. Which is standing before God holy, blameless, without blemish, and free from accusation. Some of you don't go five minutes without internal accusation. Some of you can't look at anybody doing anything without it being a condemnation on your person. And the Apostle Paul saying, here's the good news. Here's what I can't believe I get to share with everybody everywhere. Is that God has had embedded in his mind as a part of his imagination from the beginning of time, this fantastic secret that he's going to let anybody Anybody who walks or limps or crawls on the earth who wants to stand and receive glory from God, who wants to be welcomed by the one they were created to please, who wants to be, as C.S. Lewis said, a divine, an ingredient in the divine happiness, who wants glory, they can have it for nothing. 
By trusting the one who reconciled them to God and presents them, presents us before God without blemish and free from accusation. Can you imagine that? To think God is not accusing me? God is not railing against me? My guess is if you find yourself often railing against others, you find yourself often needing to put other people in their place, you find yourself with the amazing x-ray vision of being able to inspect everybody's movements, their actions, and even their motives, you feel like God's railing against you. You don't believe that you're going to stand before Him one day without blemish and free from accusation. And it's going to be a kind of fame with God, a kind of glory that doesn't have anything to do with anything you did. You'll be standing there thinking, wait, 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 wait a second. There must be some mistake. Of course I'm full of blemishes and of course you ought to be accusing me. But that's why Paul says we proclaim Him. We don't tell people how to be the best father in town. We don't tell people how to be the most excellent mother. How to nutritionally wow your neighbors. We don't tell them that. That's not what the Bible tells people. It tells people, guess what? You're going to fail. Guess what? There's hope for you. There's one who by his physical body has reconciled you to God so that you can stand before him without blemish and free from accusation. And if you believe in Him, that image comes to live inside of you and starts to remake you. It's an energy that will work powerfully within you, says the Apostle Paul. That's why we talk about Him a lot. Because we want people to start listening to Him. Because He's the one who's going to give you glory. We want people to not listen to themselves, but to listen to Him. The other day, I was coaching a little boy's baseball team. Nine and ten year old, kid pitch, first year. For these guys to be in kid pitch. And if you've ever been around this, you know this is, some people say, the slowest game in town. It's been faster than I imagined, but I had a boy on third base. And this boy has not played baseball before. This boy was a very brilliant fellow, but he just hadn't played baseball and he's a little timid. And I know, because I've done a good bit of coaching. If we're going to score, it's not going to be likely that's because the guy at the plate is going to drive the guy on third in. Because, see, at this age, a lot of the kids, we've got about three boys on our team, he'll, he'll hit the ball. And the others are just developing a, a, a rich, robust prayer life at the plate. <laughs> They're praying to God that they get a walk or that they don't get hit, they, that if they, somehow if they close their eyes and they swing, that magically the, the ball will magnetically be drawn to the aluminum in their bat and it will project out. Oh, you just can't count on a lot of runs driven in beyond a few batters on my team. I can count on my boy though, see. Okay, so this kid's on third base. And I said, buddy, I got to get you in there. You got to score on a pass ball. If it gets past the catcher, I want you to get in there. And his first words to me were, he strikes me as a very able catcher. I don't think I'm going to make it. And I said, 
He is a good catcher. That's right. But man, I got to get you down there. So if I tell you to go, I just want you to go. I just want you to run, man. And look, if he's standing there holding the ball, you don't have to run into him. Come back. But just run. Because I knew in my head, this boy's timid. He's afraid. And the only thing that's going to help him get over that is he's just got to run. So, first pitch. There's a pass ball. He takes two gigantic steps off the bag and then he rushes back as if he's about to be shot. I said, buddy, you gotta go. I said, you've got to listen to me. Stop listening to yourself. Listen to me. Don't listen to yourself. Is what I told him. And his mama, a few days later, said, I love it that you told him that. I tell him that all the time. (laughs) Listen to me. Don't listen to yourself. In the earlier service, I forgot to tell how the story ends. So he got in on a, he got walked in. He never went. (laughs) But I sure kept trying. He's a sweet, awesome boy. So I'm not, wonderful fellow. Okay. The point of the story, listen to me. Don't listen to yourself. See, that's one of the things, one of the magnificent things about living by faith. One of the things that gets Paul so phenomenally excited about getting to share this mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed is that you don't have to listen to yourself. You can listen to the Savior who has already demonstrated because God's been dreaming this up for a long time that He is going to make you something fantastic and that you are going to represent Him in a way that nobody else can. And the way that's going to happen is by you failing to listen to yourself, refusing to listen to yourself, and saying, I'm going to listen to Him because He's the one who confers worth on me. He's the one who gives me glory. He's the one who guarantees me acceptance. He's the one who knocks away accusation from me. He's the one I don't have to hide from. And I don't have to be stuck in my awfulness, in my defects, in my weaknesses. I don't have to say, oh, I'm just a big addict. I'm just a big glutton. And by the way, don't touch my belly. I'm not pregnant. You don't have to stop there. You're someone who is the object of Christ's affection. He's taken up residence in you. He started a work and he's not going to end it. And it is for you to make a habit of saying, I'm going to look away from myself to Him. I'm not going to burrow into myself and follow a labyrinth that I can never get out of. I'm going to look at Him who presents me to God without blemish and free from accusation. Every time you don't listen to yourself, it's a death. It's hard to do. That boy on third base... That's what's so hard about listening to me is he was afraid because his internal voice, he didn't want to get caught. He didn't want to get out. That was a powerful voice for him. And I'm, I couldn't be more sympathetic to it. I've listened to a lot of internal voices myself. If you haven't seen the movie Frozen yet, tough. I'm about to ruin it for you. You know, the end of this movie, see the end of it. The other day I talked about the beginning. At the end of this movie, Anna has been struck by her sister who has powers to make 
the world an icy and cold place. Her heart begins to become frozen. And like all of you would do if you had someone dear to you who had been struck by a magical power that was freezing her heart, you would take them to a troll who looked like a rock to get some wisdom. And the trolls give this wisdom. They say, she's been struck and if, if there isn't an act of true love, then her heart will freeze over entirely. Without an act of true love, her heart is going to freeze over entirely. She's not going to live anymore. She's not going to become and be Anna. And so their immediate thought is, we've got to get her back to the castle where her fiancé is. The immediate presumption is, someone's got to perform an act of love for her so that her heart can thaw. And of course... Her fiancé turns out to be a twit, a nefarious character who has duplicitous motivations. They don't say it like that in the movie, but it sounds better than <laughs> He's no good. In fact, he wants to kill her sister with the powers. And in one Herculean burst of energy, Anna sees her sister about to be killed. And she throws herself in between the sword and her sister. To take a death for her. Her sister is broken up in grief because her life has been spared and Anna has become frozen. But suddenly, she begins to thaw. The act of true love was her giving herself away. Forgetting her instinct to preserve herself, forgetting her instinct to save herself, it was her saying, I give up myself. And when she did, her heart unthawed. And this is the part where you can say, see, that's just like Jesus. Well, it is just like Jesus, but that's not the point I'm making right now. The point I'm making is, the Apostle tells us, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. One of the ways that you're going to cultivate Christ in you, the hope of glory, one of the ways you're going to become the person that Christ intends for you to be, a full self-forgetful image bearer, is through suffering. It's through dying. It's through giving up. And there's a thousand ways giving up. I don't have to get my own way here. We don't have to do what I want. I don't have to be right in this argument. I don't have to, I don't have to diminish someone as something good is happening in their lives in order to make myself feel better. I don't have to, I don't have to obey myself and say these harsh words that I'm about to say. I can hold them back. There's all manner of ways that we can die, that unthaw our hearts. Because this Savior, this image of God who holds us together, He did not hold on to His life. And He suffered death. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. And God decided to glorify Him because He did that. And here's what Jesus says. One day, I'm going to share 
all the glory with you. When I come up on the stage of the universe and God says, ta-da, there he is. The king who has made all things new, who has purchased and won people from every nation. Jesus will say, come on, guys, get up here with me. Share the glory of the Father. Share the divine beam of His smile, which I have won because I did not do this for myself. I came to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Paul Miller tells the story of a woman who came up to him after a conference and said, I have bloodied my knuckles on the doors of heaven banging and pleading that God would give me a husband. This was a successful woman. She had done well in her career, but she had this one gaping hole. She did not have a spouse. She felt deprived. God had withheld from her. And she said, I banged and banged and banged. And Paul said, my heart broke for her. And I began to pray as she was talking to me. And this thought occurred to me. Your dream has to die. Your dream has become a demand. You're listening to yourself, in other words. You're thinking you know what's best for you. You know which life is best for you. You know which path. You know which future is best for you. Let that dream die. And he said she knew and agreed that it was so. See, because there's so many ways in our lives when you insist on what has to be, you're hanging on. You're listening to yourself and you're not listening to the one who means to make you in his image. But as you give up yourself more and more to him, the promise is you'll find yourself. The promise is that you'll get attached to this one who gives you glory. You don't know what your worth is and you don't know what you're meant to be. And you're only going to find it as you abandon yourself daily over and over again, whether it's for the first time today or for the millionth time this afternoon, to the One who will give you glory, who will present you before the Father without fault and free from accusation. You can trust Him to make something of you. Keep offering yourselves up to Him. Amen.